0: morning well today is uh traditionally known as palm sunday that represents the sunday that made jesus made a very intentional choice to enter the city of jerusalem now people have been making that choice for thousands of years but what was different is jesus told his disciples ahead of time hey we're going to go into this city and they're going to arrest me and kill me and so let's go and they were reluctant, and they didn't understand, but they went. Jesus walked in, knowing, knowing what was going to happen. He knew. And as he did that, they walk in, and the people are cheering for him, saying, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And they're waving palm branches, and it fulfills this prophecy from hundreds of years earlier that this event would happen. And they say, uh, "Pray," and they start praising him as the King of Israel. Well, that created a problem for the religious leaders who had started plotting against him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus had been at the home of a friend because a friend had died. His name was Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. This amazing, miraculous thing, that was one of the last things he did. So this crowd kind of starts flocking around Jesus and probably walks, goes with him into Jerusalem. And as he's going in, the religious leaders don't like that they're following Jesus. They want the people following him, or them. And so they make a plot, not just to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus as well. The guy that Jesus just rose from the dead. Can you imagine Lazarus kind of going, seriously? Like, I just, that just happened. I just died, and now, like, again? Like, I I, I get, try to get in his head and think about it, but Jesus knew. He goes, guys, we're going, and they're going to kill me. And he goes in, and the people are cheering, welcoming Jesus because there's a lot of hype around him. But pretty quickly, over that week, and Palm Sunday kind of starts the... the uh, what is called Holy Week, of the different events that happen leading up to ultimately the cross on Friday, on Good Friday, where Jesus dies willingly and sacrificially. And then Easter Sunday that we celebrate next Sunday, Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you take out the cross or the empty tomb, either one, our faith is empty. There's nothing really to believe except some good examples, role models, and lessons. But it's so much more. But before we jump ahead to the cross and the empty tomb, some things happened the last week of Jesus' earthly life before the cross in this week of Palm Sunday to Good Friday that tell us a lot about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And as you look at this week, there's something that happened kind of during the course of that week where you see two different people. Using two different uses of water and a a basin of water, two different uses of a towel, two different uses of power, two potential paths forward for you that I want you to think about today. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 19. And in John 19, we see the account of Jesus after he's been arrested. And the crowd has, has turned from saying, praising him and saying, welcoming, thoughts that are welcoming him, Instead, their words, start saying, kill him and crucify him. And Jesus is arrested and brought in front of different officials at different times. And one of those was a guy named Pilate, not like Pilate of a plane, P-I-L-A-T-E, and it's not Pilate, it's Pilate. And he's this Roman governor who his job, the power he's been given, is to keep peace in Jerusalem. And any time there's a festival, a large gathering of people there, they always, always would get very nervous. Because there would be riots and Rome did not like riots. And if you lost control, you lost not just your job, but probably your life. And Pilate has an interesting backstory where he had some complaints filed against him through, I don't know if Rome had an HR department or not, but however it did, word got back to Rome, uh, the emperor Tiberius at the time, that he was uh, mistreating uh, the occupied people of Israel. At one point, the Gospel of Luke has this obscure reference to Pilate taking the blood of Galileans and mixing it in with the blood sacrificed from the sacrificial lamb in the temple. So there were some Galileans who did an uprising. He killed them and used some of their blood in their temple worship, just kind of making it a mockery of it. He had some complaints filed against them, so he was, he was on double secret probation this week. And this is what happens in John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Flogged means more than whipped. It was a cat of nine tails, It was an instrument designed not just to punish, but to rip skin off and really, really hurt. There were limits to how many times you could do that, because you could take someone's life just through this act alone. And he said, Jesus will be flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. They're mocking him. They're mocking him. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, the people that were saying, blessed is the one who comes comes in the name of the Lord and hail the king of Israel. Now they're saying something different. He says, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. He had a lot to lose if this man was guilty of anything. But he says, I look at it, I see nothing, no basis for a charge. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is this man. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! They just couldn't even stand to look at him. They wouldn't even give him a chance to say, Could this be the Jesus, the Messiah that's been promised? Instead, they were worried about losing their power and their influence. And they did not like what he was saying. Verse 7, verse 6 continues, But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, again, he says it, I find no basis for a charge. Because I I can't. We have the authority to kill, but I can't find a reason. Why? The Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Because he claimed to be the son of God. It's blasphemy. He's claiming. He's either delusional, he's crazy, or he's he's, he's power hungry. He's saying he's the son of God. He's got to die. But that's not Rome's law, that's their law. But their law wouldn't let them kill him, especially with Passover going on. They couldn't be involved with this, so they're trying a way to kind of get this done. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. You know why he was afraid? If HR gets one more report about Pilate, <laughs> Pilate may lose his job. At one point, he sends him over to this guy named Herod. Herod was actually the guy that looked over Galilee, where these guys were from. And so he thought, maybe he'll deal with it. And Herod said, well, oh, interesting, but right back you go. And he sends him back to, to Pilate. And history tells us this is probably the point that Pilate and Herod actually got to, met for the first time and got to be friends. And this Herod is not the Herod that was there when Jesus was born. This was somebody else with that title. And, and actually, he was really curious about meeting Jesus. He wanted to see him do something cool. But he sends him back and says, I don't, I don't understand this. Send him back. Nobody wanted the, Israelite, the people of Israel mad at him, and nobody wanted road mad at them, but nobody wanted Jesus alive. He asked him, Pilate asked him, where do you come from? But Jesus gave no answer. And there's an interesting play on it, kind of a couple words here, in verse 10, it says this, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said, don't you realize I have, what's the word? Power. Do you know who you're talking to? I'm the most powerful man in this city. I'm the most powerful man you know. I could save you. I have power either to free you or to crucify you. And Jesus gives him a subtle reminder that's probably good for us too. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. He's not talking about Caesar. He's not talking about Rome. God is the one who gave him power. Jesus says it. Paul says it, Peter says it, it's in the New Testament, that every leader has been given power from above. Think about that for a minute. Any place in the world where somebody has authority over you, God said it's okay for them to have power. And he asked you to submit to their power and authority. Isn't that crazy? Even in Rome? Yeah. It was actually the example of how some of the early Christians handled this a, a, a Roman governor after them, Nero, that, that Tiberius after Tiberius Nero that would want to kill them, how they submitted and kind of handled that. Rome didn't even know what to do with them. Because nobody submitted to them willingly. It was so counter-cultural. It was not natural. You would have no power for we're not giving you from above. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He tries. The most powerful man in the city. He tried to set him free, but he can't. The Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, these people hated Caesar. They hated Rome. They're an occupied people, but they play the Caesar card. You're no friend of Caesar if you do that. They didn't care about that. They were looking for what buttons to push to get their way. Uh, The Gospel of Mark actually tells us that Pilate recognized that all these leaders saying all this stuff, it was because of their self-interest. They weren't interested in truth. They weren't interested in justice. They were interested in their self-interest of being the ones in power. And Pilate, the most powerful man in the city, is being manipulated and coerced and forced by these other people, the occupied people with their power, forcing him to do these choice, choices. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And that's right. That was actually true. See, one of the reasons Jesus is Lord was such an offensive phrase for the early Christians is because Rome had a phrase. It was on their money. Caesar is Lord. And so when they start saying anybody else is opposed to that, and it wasn't just monarchy and royalty and leadership and power. It was divine. It, there was Caesar worship was the only person you could Worship as your first choice. Like, that was it. And so you oppose Caesar. It's not just a political thing. This is a religious thing. This is an everything. And they're telling Pilate, if you let this guy go, you're no friend of Caesar. That guy's opposed to Caesar. He wasn't. He knew it. This is self-interest for them. It says this. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the, this is such an interesting word, judge's seat. Every city in Rome had this place. The Greek word is the bema or bema. It was, a, it was a place where this judge would sit. He would hear the case. People would give an account, and he would make a decision. Oftentimes, guilty or not guilty. Oftentimes, live or die. And he's sitting on it. The most powerful man in the city, and Jesus is front of him at a place known as the stone pavement, which is Aramaic, Gabbatha. It was the day of... John kind of time stands it. It was the preparation of the Passover. That's a big festival why everyone was in town and it was about noon. That word judges seat shows up somewhere else. Shows up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Says this, for we know, excuse me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat. It's the exact same word. The judgment seat, not of Rome, not of the United States, the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us each one of us will do this it's an all inclusive thing we will stand before him and really the only thing that is most pressing at that moment is what did you do with jesus what jesus has done for you that we celebrate this week what did you do with that did you receive it as a free gift did you make this exchange of here's my life so he can give him he can give you yours or give him he can give you his life like what did you do with jesus But but it says this, and this is to us as believers. It's by grace we are saved through faith alone. That's how we get in right standing with God. But God still wants to know, what did you do with the life I gave you? Uh, Go back, please. One. Receive what is due for the things done while in the body, in your life. What did you do with your life, whether good or bad? This is not about getting in right standing with God, but it's what did you do with what I gave you? Think about this. Pilate will stand before him potentially one day. If this is just for believers, but we know that everyone's going to stand before God one day, it says that in Hebrews, conversation will be different for Pilate. We don't know what happened to him. You know, actually, he kind of disappears into obscurity after this. Several years after this, he leaves his post. He goes back to Rome. He's never heard from again. We don't know what the events of this week as he watched it unfold. I doubt he just kind of signed something and moved on. I bet he heard things. He may have even seen things. We don't know what happened to him next. But one day, he's going to meet the most powerful person in the room and realize that guy was standing before him, and I had the audacity to say, do you know how much power I have? And he's going to see him sitting on this judgment seat saying, what did you do with your life? It's an amazing thing to picture. goes on to say this in verse 14. Here's your king, Pilate says to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. They, I don't know how they could say that with a straight face. I mean, it's just, they're just towing the company line. But this is not about trying to get out of trouble with Rome. This is about getting their self-interest done. We have no king but Caesar. So Pilate comes to this conclusion. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. The Gospel of Matthew adds one different Description of what happens here. It says this, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere. how's your power working out for you now, Pilate. He's getting nowhere. But that instead an uproar was starting. HR can't hear about this or he loses his life. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. Is it? you have the power to make this help this man live or die is it really their responsibility how are you using your power you said multiple he said multiple times like he said this i can't find a reason to charge him you know his wife was even saying hey you better pay attention to this something's going on here there's a lesson there guys like li- like listen to your wives like there's something there i hope that's not your only takeaway today but like like this he knows he's in a place to know and instead instead of saying i find no basis he goes i have no responsibility here it's your responsibility he uses his power his responsibility and this opportunity to leverage it for his self-interest i don't want to lose my job my life or my head so blood's on your hands that's how he used his power to serve himself Contrast that with Jesus, who just two days prior has his disciples gathered to celebrate the Passover together. They're celebrating this Passover meal, the Last Supper, which we kind of celebrated today as he asked us to remember this. And as he's doing that in John chapter 13, there's this amazing phrase, I recently spent time with a friend of mine who's been a mentor and just a good friend for about 12 years and Uh, We hung out for a couple days, and, and he said, I spent about two weeks in this passage, and this one phrase in particular, just, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his, what's the word? Power. What a contrast in the use of power. Jesus recognizes all things, not just in Rome, all things in the universe have been put under my power, the power that created the world, the power that created you, the power that could make anything happen, who could have arranged the outcome of that week any way he wanted. When he realized that all things were under his power, he gets it from the meal, and what does he do with it? He doesn't use it to go, let's go take Jerusalem, let's do this instead. He says this, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, uh, wrapped a towel around his waist, after that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel wrapped around him. Now it's kind of lost on us, I mean some of you may have been in church before and you know that this was something that Jesus did, you may even know this was part of their culture, this was a time in history with open-toed shoes and open sewers and a lot of livestock. I mean, doing this was both hygiene, important, but also ceremonially. Like when they said, we want worship, we need to be clean. And around meals, we got to be clean. And feet aren't clean even with closed-toed shoes, right? And so Jesus takes this role that was reserved for the lowliest of servants, and he gets down and he takes the water and he starts washing their feet. And I can't imagine how humbling that must have been for them. At one point, Peter tries to stop him and say, Don't do that. And Jesus said, You, you don't understand what I'm doing for you. I, I must do this. He goes, Great. He goes, Wash all of me. Give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus says, No, just simmer down. Like that's, that's just, just Peter, just, just why don't you sit out a few plays? You know, I like, just hang on. And he goes around, each, and I can't imagine how awkward it must have been. As Jesus kind of goes around and he does this, and he washes one of their feet, and then another, and then another, he washes Judas' feet. You know, like Peter, like, who's going to deny him? Like, all this stuff. And he takes this water and this towel and this power, and he leverages it completely different than Pilate does. Says this in verse twelve. When he had finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. He sits down. And he says, "Do you understand what I've done for you?" Now he doesn't say this in there. I don't. You know, it says what it says. Doesn't say what it doesn't say. I don't want to read too much in, but I think the answer would have been, "No, we have no idea." That was weird. That was awkward. It was actually inappropriate. I don't know what to do with any of this. I'm reading something in, obviously, but that's what that's what I would have done, right? The God of the universe, who created the animals, who created that thing that I stepped in and you just washed off my feet, I don't know what to do with this. So he tells us what to do with it. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He is the teacher. He is the one that has insight. He's the one that created the whole universe. I want the person writing the instruction manual to actually know how the thing is put together, whatever it is. Well, if I want to know how the world works, I want to listen to the teacher who is also the creator of life. And Lord, again, Jesus is Lord, a very offensive and inappropriate and really dangerous claim. Lord means leader, king of all, in charge. He says, you guys are calling me teacher. I'm the instructor. And Lord, I'm the one in charge, so you, you do what I say, right? That is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. To which I would have just said, like, like now? Like, should we get up and do that now? Like, what does that mean? Like, we don't do that on, on Sundays, we do communion. That was an appropriate thing for that culture at that time. And it wasn't so much about the act as it was the attitude, the approach to life. That word one another is a, we did a whole series on this called one anothering. It's a Greek word, alelone. It means to have an orientation toward the other. Jesus says, what I want to do with you is is redirect from having self-interest to have the interest of the other. I want you to be others-focused. Love God, love people. Serve God, serve people. He goes on to say this, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the way you should live. The other matters. They saw this, probably lived out, not just in this moment, but every day of his life. He was others-focused. They saw it in this moment, then they would see it a couple days later at the cross. As he literally does exactly what he said he came to do, lay down his life for his friends. Not as a martyr, but as the Messiah, who was the sacred, sacrificial lamb of God. Innocent, perfect, and pure, dying for us. And then he says this, don't miss this. Now that, you have, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We did a series on this too not too long ago, blessed, about blessed. We're always interested in, what does it mean for God to bless us? I want God to bless me. Do you know the life he blesses? The life that lives this way. This is how life is meant to be lived. It's where you have a deep connection to God. And again, we said it in the series, don't seek the blessing, seek the blesser. Follow his example, but this is the great thing. Jesus doesn't say, go do these things and I'll love you. He says, I love you. I gave my life for you so I can give my life to you. I'm not just giving you an example. I will empower you to do these things. I will change you to be this kind of person. And if you want to know if God is transforming your life, are you becoming more others focused? Because that's the life God is blessing. He's blessing you with the opportunity and ability and power to serve others. Two men, Pilate and Jesus. Two uses of water. Two uses of a towel. Very, very different. Two uses of power. Very, very different. Two paths forward. Which one do you choose? Most of us choose the self-interest, the self-serving. And Jesus says, It's different. He had actually had his disciples together another time. He said this in in Mark, uh, excuse me, um, yeah, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Jesus called his disciples together. This was earlier in in, 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 in the story. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Exactly what Pilate did. Do you know what kind of power I have? Jump through that hoop. Do what I say. Do what I want. They use power to get their way. And Jesus says this, not so with you. Don't do that. That's not who you are. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Servant and slave, offensive terms. But he says, that's who I created you to be. That should be your identity. A servant of all. For even the son of man, he goes, and, and they would see this lived out in the upper room washing their feet on the cross probably every day of their lives when they were with him. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not arrange his life and use his power and authority to get people to serve him, serve him, serve him directly. Instead, he gets down on his hands and knees and washes their feet. He serves them. He gets down on a cross and gets laid out and dies for them. He is the servant of all and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's two paths forward. Pilate's was one way. How much more do you know about Pilate based on what I told you or what you've, the little we know about his life in the life of Jesus? Anyone know anything more about him? There's not that much more written about him. There's some in history, but not much. But even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard of Jesus. You probably know quite a few things about him. About his birth, his death. Things that he's taught. I heard TV shows this week. We were talking about it actually at Friday morning Bible study. Somebody remembered the phrase, uh, uh, and we've heard this phrase, prodigal son before. We've heard going the extra mile before. We've heard these phrases that Jesus taught that still kind of echo in history. Pilate his last blip on the radar is a use of power serving himself and it didn't get him that far. But you and I are both have an unfortunate fleshly pull toward using any power, authority, or opportunity to serve ourselves. But Jesus calls us to live differently, to serve. And he actually says be a servant. And there's a difference between serving and being a servant. When you serve, You're in control. It's something you choose to do. It's an activity. And you're in control. You choose when, where, how, who. You choose it all. And serving is a good thing, but he actually calls you to something different. He calls you to be a servant of all. A servant, that's not an activity. That's an identity. And whoever's in front of you, wherever you are, wherever you go, whenever it is, no matter the circumstance, Jesus says, in any moment... Your responsibility is to serve God and serve others. And he set you the example, he'll empower you to do that, and that's the life he blesses. That's how life is meant to be lived. So really the question is, who do you want to be? The constant pull and temptation on your life will be to arrange things to serve yourself. Actually, this is one of the reasons we push so hard for you to get involved in serving. Here and beyond, that's why we did a neighboring series. God said, love your neighbors, serve your neighbors because that's how you were meant to live. And if you look at your calendar, a great question to ask is, am I arranging my priorities and my time and my life around the idea of being a servant of all? Or am I trying to arrange my life for things to serve my self-interest? his identity of you as a child of God, as a new creation, as a follower of Jesus, he is constantly working to help you be a servant of all. And he says that's what greatness is. And to give his life as a ransom for many, the Greek word ransom there, it's a Greek word lutron, it doesn't mean payment for sin when it's usually used. It means payment to liberate a captive. Like a ransom is a great word, like like it's freeing a captive, someone who's been kidnapped. It's freeing a slave, It's freeing a captive. And Jesus says, I came to set you free from everything that holds you prisoner. And I've set you free to serve others. Well, if it's liberating a slave or a servant, that means they don't have to serve anymore. Not in his kingdom. He sets you free. Instead of serving yourself, you're free to serve others. And that's where life truly works and life truly comes alive. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, not so with you. There's two paths. You can serve yourself or you can be a servant of all. And he basically asks the question, which do you choose? It's a question that you need to answer as well. But before really you kind of focus too much on that one, you really have to ask the question that confronted Pilate. It confronted everybody. It's confronted everybody in history. What will you do with Jesus? Jesus. This week we celebrate that the God of the universe showed up, laid down his life to pay for our sins. It's a free gift that's ours for the asking, and he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is. What will you do with Jesus? Or to think of it another way, who would you want to follow? The one who's a guy like Pilate? Even yourself? Or has Jesus shown us that he is the one that is competent, capable, he has all power and authority, and the ultimate example of who I would want to follow? What will you do with Jesus? And what will will your identity be? Will you be someone who is known for the greatness of being a servant of all? Our purpose in life is to be a servant of all and to give our lives to reach as many as possible. To follow Jesus and bring others with you. That's why this idea of inviting for Easter is so important. The Easter invite cards that you have, you know, Tim told the story about a boy who gave one to his barber and his barber came here and then the barber cut somebody else's hair. Well, that was my son John who gave him that invite card. And I'm so proud of him for doing that. So now whenever there's Easter invite cards, I have to tell my kids, "Hey, don't take so many because like it's like, wow, man, look at Joe's here and Tim's here, like they're so excited. You never know how one invitation or one act of service could have a ripple that God uses to change someone's life. And I encourage you next week, if you have any ability, one of the great ways you could serve others next week, welcome people, but also attend in the edges if you can. The 8.30 and 10 actually will probably be the fullest services. The 11.30, that's the one where we have the most opportunity to invite others. Or if you're not bringing someone with you, would you consider attending that and just eating a little bit later? Because if we want to make room, that is an incredible act of service that you could do is consider attending the 11.30 30. Or the 830, but last week, last year the 830 was attended pretty well as we encourage you to attend on the edges. Also on Good Friday, I encourage you to use that and anything this week. We have the Good Friday reflective experience, walkthrough experience. Um, Use anything and everything this week to reflect on who is Jesus, what does he mean to you, and what does it look like for you to follow him? How much must you mean to him because of what he did for you? Use this week to reflect. And then next Sunday, let's celebrate the risen Jesus together. And then tonight there's a very unique opportunity we have as a city in a, in a region, pray Jones. You can go to prayjones.com, and there's information about it tonight. Very specific things about clear bag policy because it's Tech Stadium and city bus pop, uh, shuttles to the place uh, to Jones Stadium. It's a night where believers from churches all over our community will gather together to pray and worship together. And it's not has been an event like this in our city that I know of, and has a huge potential that when God's people pray, I think God moves. And so I would encourage you to be there if you can. If not, find time tonight to set aside to pray for our city, our state, our world, our country, everywhere. Pray for your family. Pray for the other churches. I love the unity that's that's represented in that, but I encourage you to be part of that if you can. There was an insert when you came in, and you can go to PrayJones.com for more information. Let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks for the example we have. You told us this. You've set us an example that as you have done for us, we should do for others. Father, it's more than an example. You've promised to, by your grace and forgiveness, set us free, a life that is free to serve, that's free to be a servant of all and experience the joy and the blessing that comes from that, the purpose. God, we are continually tricked into selling out our identity and our calling by so many things when we get to the root of it, it's just self-serving. Thank that you've set, thanks that you've set us free and you've challenged us to serve you, to serve others. God, help us to live that out. And thank you for what we celebrate this week in history, what it represents. The most important week in history because it's the most important implication for humanity. Father, we need you to not just be our Savior, but to be our Lord, our leader that you really are the king. You are the one with all the power. Who else would we rather follow? So this week as we reflect, we are grateful. And we want to follow you, be a servant of all, and give our lives to reach as many as possible and bring others with us. So we ask your best and blessings tonight on Pray Jones, on this week of Holy Week, as people think, maybe reflect on you and think on you. But for us, Jesus, as we think about you and we seek you, Tell us what you have for us and what our next step is. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here at the front. Thanks for being here.